Wait a minute, I hear something. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Dr. Movie, your favorite show that's apparently all about werewolves here lately, right? We've been covering uh, quite a few werewolf movies by request uh, by the by the great Dan Bone, one of my, one of my buddies, one of my movie connoisseurs. And uh, this has been a fun one, right? It's way more fun than those really bad shark movies I had to go through, which was my own choosing. I can't blame that on anybody else. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting to the nitty gritty. And uh, down to my second favorite horror movie. And I can kind of go back and forth between this one and the first one. But before I get into that one, I kind of feel bad here. And Dan or anybody else that's listening, you can give me some feedback because... You know, this this leads to a guilty pleasure movie that, if I'm honest with you, I have probably watched this honorable mention movie more than I have any other werewolf movie, and that's the sequel to today's movie, The Howling Part 2, Your Sister's a Werewolf. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack in that one. I didn't put it on this list because it, it, it is one of my favorites. But I just don't think it belongs in the same category with all of these. And I may be wrong. That's just my personal opinion. But if I'm totally honest with you, I have probably watched The Howling 2 way more than I have seen any other werewolf movie. But I'm not here to review that one. But if you would like for me to review The Howling 2, let me know, right? I mean, I figured eventually I'd get around to it. But if you want it to be a part of this... And, you know, just to kind of keep it with the family, you know, uh, that's kind of the problem with sequels, right? Because usually you like the first one, maybe the second one, then the rest are all trash. Um, but, you know, if, if you would be interested in me covering The Howling too, just send me a message or post it on, you know, when I put this out there on Facebook or whatever, let me know. <laughs> I'd be glad to do it. I need to go back and watch it again so I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I've got vision stuck in my head, especially the, the, the ending credits. Uh, I probably watched that more than I've watched any movie in history, just being honest. Uh, those end credits, right? With the song being played and Sybil Danning ripping off her shirt. Gold. Anywho, not what we're talking about. We are talking about, really, to me, the movie that I'm, I'm just going to say it started it all. Now, when I say it all, the craze that we've had with special effects werewolf movies, well, I guess you can say they're all that way. But for some reason in the 80s, it became a hot topic again. And I think it's very wild that, I'm going to give it away right here, but to me, the two best werewolf movies came out the same year. And... Uh, this one, to me, this is the ideal werewolf. Um, and we'll get into that as we go. But we're talking about The Howling, 1981. Come on. Absolute classic. 
Is it a great movie? No. But, you know, it, it is what it is, right? And uh, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about this one. We know that this was directed by Joe Dante, which, come on, um, who doesn't love a little Joe Dante, right? The guy that can make horror movies funny and sleazy all at the same time, but still do it to where you, you don't feel like you're watching, you know, super trash, right? And plus, let's just say, who doesn't love the, the, the Embassy Pictures logo when it comes up, right? That's one of those we don't talk about enough. We talk about Canon, you know, and all the other ones, but we don't talk about the Embassy logo that does that little flip. I, I just, I love that. I, I guess it just takes you back to a time, right? But yeah, man, Joe Dante, come on. Um, let's do a quick synopsis here. If you don't know this movie, I don't know why you're even listening, but anyways, you know, you should shut this off immediately and go watch it instead of hearing me talk about it, right? It's number two on my list, yo. Uh, it says, in Los Angeles, television journalist Karen White is traumatized in the course of aiding the police in their arrest of a serial murder, murderer. Her doctor re recommends that she attends an isolated psychiatric <laughs> retreat led by Dr. George Wagoner. Uh, but while Karen is undergoing therapy, her colleague Chris investigates the bizarre circumstances surrounding her shock. When his work leads to when his work leads to him let's read that again. When his work leads him to suspect the supernatural, he begins to fear for Karen's life. Boy, they that's a weird runaround way of keeping it vague. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you that, it's, it's, it's got a lot of things to it. So why do we watch this movie? Let's see. Why to watch? Uh, it says, you'll love it. <laughs> Recommended based on your search behavior. Well, thank you there, Google. I appreciate that. Got three words for you. It's menacing, scary, and horrific. I agree with all that. Uh... It says, uh, with this impressive effects and playful sense of humor, The Howling is a must for any werewolf fan. Uh, to me, it's the gateway. You, you know, if, if you don't see this one, you're kind of missing what led to all the werewolf movies we got later. I mean, realistically, we just kind of keep remaking the same storytelling style, right? Howling is a fantastic offbeat horror flick with a dash of comedy that still holds up great 40 years later i totally agree um watching it again i mean i can see where people prefer other movies and we'll talk about why but i think if you look at this movie from the aspect of you didn't have other werewolf movies to compare this to at the time i mean we, we, again this and my other favorite movie are the gold standards right for a reason so we've grown to expect some guy out of the movies. And well, I'll talk about why they're different. This other one says, Now The Howling is a great movie in all aspects. The plot is beyond amazing. And its events are very well connected. That's what I think people forget about this movie. And um, again, I'm trying to hold back and not spill too much right here from the beginning, right? Uh, let's talk about our cast. I mean, come on. You got... Uh, George Corman, you know, involvement here 
and you've got a cast of, of regulars, right? We've got D. Wallace. Come on, D. Wallace Stone. Uh, from The Hills Have Eyes, E.T., The Frighteners. I mean, she's Cujo. She's a uh, she's horror legend. And the, uh, the thing about this, too, is you've got her husband, Christopher Stone, who plays her husband, boyfriend, whatever he is in this movie. So that's kind of a wild combination for sure. Uh, Dennis Dugan's in this. Uh, Belinda Belaski. Uh, John Carradine. Kevin McCarthy. I mean, you, you've got some heavy hitters of old original horror flicks here. Dick Miller. I mean, Dick Miller is always Dick Miller, no matter what film you put him in, right? Robert Picardo plays Eddie Quist in this. Eddie Quist is the serial killer that this is all kind of based around, right? Patrick McNee is George, doc, Dr. George Wagner. We got Slim Pickens in this. I mean, come on, man. The, the fact that they made this movie, which would be considered a low-budget horror movie, but what a cast. And I think that's a, that's a big thing that makes this thing work, right? So let's talk about why people pick mm, later movies, say like Silver Bullet, something like that, as more of a favorite. Well, it's all a matter, too, of when you see them and what impact it is, right? Usually whatever you see first ends up kind of being your favorite because it's the first time you're exposed to something. But they're all derivatives of these first movies. Now, you can go all the way back to the original Wolfman, right? With the dissolve effects and stuff they did. But this is where we're starting to see effects that, to me, even by today's standard, uh, we still can't make anything any better. There's some stuff in this movie that I'm going to say is even better than some of the stuff in American Werewolf in London, even though it won, you know, the awards and stuff. Now, if, if you're a fan of those movies and you know the history, then you know that uh, Rob Bottin was hired to do American Werewolf. Is that right, or is it the other way around? Now, Rick Baker was hired to do this movie? It's one or the other. Dang. So, if you know your history better than I do, you know that these two guys <laughs> ended up switching roles to make these werewolf movies, and uh, Rob Bottin ended up getting this job which, Bravo Team, come on, I mean, the, the thing, I mean, hello, you want to talk about effects? Well, if you go back and watch this one, you can see those effects. And again, why do we have the best werewolf on film? As far as I'm concerned, it's, it's in this movie. It's, well, I don't say it's the best. To me, it's the ideal werewolf. The standing upright, you know, werewolf, but it doesn't have human feet right it's it's you know elongated um you know this came out a few months before american werewolf so it beat it to the punch and here's what i like about this movie that i think a lot of people miss is it is a combination of three things here you're taking the element of a giallo because it's kind of a murder mystery, right? Because you've got this serial killer thing going on and you've got the snooping news reporters that are trying to figure out the mystery. So you've got this kind of thing going on on the side that's really driving the story because there's a lot of things that don't make sense. Then you've got this 
this whole idea of a colony that's out here to themselves that seem like nice, upright people, but ends up being more like the wicker man. So you got a, a wicker man element, or a midsummer element, if you're into that movie. Uh, you've got this giallo thing going on, and then you got the werewolf part of it. So you're kind of getting three movies in one where it all interlaces. And you're also dealing with a lady that's having issues, which kind of ties back into the giallo thing of she's going through some sort of trauma and she's trying to put the pieces together and it causes stress in, in her love life and all this stuff. So the problem with this movie I think most people have is it takes almost to the last third of the movie before you see anything werewolf, right? You get uh, some some attacks and stuff, but the main part of the story is about Eddie Quist, and he's chasing Dee Wallace. He meets her in a in a porn shop, and he's planning on killing her. And apparently, he's been killing people all over. And he leaves a smiley face sticker on everything to kind of identify this is his insignia, I guess you'd say. Um, right before he goes to kill her, cops bust in. And kill him, right? Or you think he's dead. Later on, our snoopers find out when they go to look at the body, he's no longer there. And the inside of the the little holding thing that they put the body in has been all damaged and clawed up. So you're starting to put the pieces together, right? Well, what we don't know is she's going to a psychiatrist and he's like, Hey, I think you need a break. Why don't you come out to where I live, out in this area with this colony? Which is an odd thing, too, because you feel like it's a long ways off. But everybody she meets there, they're all familiar with her work. I'm like, this is the 80s. Early 80s. Well, you might have just, well, maybe cable TV was really happening at this point. It wasn't in my area. But I'm thinking, if they were picking up TV, like channels, on like rabbit ears or an antenna, and this was far off, there's no way they would have picked up you know her news channel so maybe cable is that blurring of the line here but you know being realistic about 1981 you know you would pick up channels that were maybe 50 miles in the radius and that's about it anything outside of there no so unless she was closer to this place than you thought which is kind of you know anyways that's just something i picked up on oh they're, they're i love your work well, yeah whatever yeah, you know, and again, there's stress with the, with her husband because she's in shock, and, you know, he's a guy, and he's wanting to do guy things with her, and she's like, yeah, I'm not really feeling like it because, uh, you know, this guy tried to rape me and kill me while making me watch some, you know, rapey porn. And uh, so there's stress there, and they're, they're having this campfire, I guess you'd say, where all the, the local people are together, and you got crazy John Carradine trying to burn himself alive because he don't want to live anymore, but... You don't understand why, you know, you're just kind of going along with it. You've got this, you know, the hottie of the of the group, which apparently she's just a tramp because uh, she messes around with everybody. Well, she ends up making her move on uh, Dee's husband. And uh, that's really something you don't see. In it. Well, you didn't see it before this movie, but, you know, they end up kind of getting together and getting it on and, while they're getting it on, they both turned into werewolves. Yeah. Uh, so you get that aspect of it, which again, uh, you know, you're going with thing. Give me things I've never seen before for 500. You know, uh, 
and uh, you know, it, it's it's got this campiness, but it's not too campy. It it works. There's some great lighting in this that kind of makes it feel like you're flipping through the pages of a comic book at times. Uh, I love the sleuthing around and trying to figure this thing out. Uh, I love that you know there's something up with these people, but you just don't know what. I love the scene where a werewolf attacks uh, one of D's. I keep calling her D, but her name's not D in the movie. Her name is Karen. Karen White. And uh, when her friend that's helping try to investigate all this stuff, which they get from a book from Dick Miller in, in the library, that's how they're tracking this stuff down, which kind of refers back to Full Moon and Silver Bullet and all those, right? You got a book that tells you the story of Lycanthrope, you know. So there's all that aspect that you kind of see carried on. I think the problem I have with it is it takes too long to get to where the werewolves are. But once it gets there, it doesn't stop. Because you've got a whole colony of them, right? It's not like one person is changing. you got a whole colony. I love when the lady is being attacked and she finds an axe and she chops off the arm of one of the werewolves. And you see the arm lay there and change. And again, it's Rob Bottin. And I, again, I, I, I just got through watching it again, and I'm telling you, that effect is absolutely amazing. It still looks better than anything that's come out now. It, it just, it blows my mind how good that is. Um, then you get the confrontation where we find out that Eddie's not dead. He's got some bullet wounds and stuff in his head, but you get the confrontation between him and Karen, and he tells her, I want to give you a piece of my mind, and he basically just sticks his fingers in the hole in his head and pulls a piece out and hands it to her. Then you get the transformation, which is top-notch. It's great. Pretty much every movie that we have covered so far is pulling from this source right here. Uh, it's in your face. It's not a dissolve. It's not in, really in the total dark. You, you, you can see well enough and I'm telling you, I mean, it just again, there's a reason this movie still is 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 held up like it is, and these effects, I'm telling you, are just still, uh, just this is what I expect out of a werewolf movie. Um, but yeah, you get the whole showdown at the end, where they're trying to get away from the colony, and you get the incredible ending of the movie, which I don't want to ruin for you in case you haven't seen it, but. Uh, I love the aspect of it crossing the line between reality TV and can you believe what you see, right? Because when the ending happens, it's on live TV and the crowd that watches it is either on board as it being real or not and just kind of passing it off. The fact that they try to cover it up, I don't know, man, it's, it's pretty dang brilliant. To, uh, to deliver this in the way that they do. Anywho, uh, I've done gone 20 minutes on this one, or close to it. Uh, I, just, I just think this is a better movie than we realize what it is. I encourage you to go back and watch it again and think about what I talked about as far as three movies rolled into one. And I think when you look at it that way, it really opens things up for you. 
uh, and I wonder about when Joe put this together if he kind of pulled from these elements because that's really what it is and uh, I think that really makes it stand out so the part that a lot of people would probably find boring is actually what makes this movie so powerful at the end so do yourself a favor check it out again five out of five I mean I you know it's pretty pretty self-evident right so it's a must watch it's that simple uh, it it is an essential werewolf movie no doubt about it alright folks I'm gonna end it right there if you've got any ideas for something else you want me to cover if you got any comments on this one tell me where I'm wrong tell me where I'm right um, and tell me if you want me to do the howling too <laughs> alright folks that's it for this one we will check you later <laughs>